All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Happy holidays and welcome into the DFO Rundown Best of Episode, Part 1. I'm Tyler Remchuk and I'll be guiding you through the show because Frank and Jason are obviously busy enjoying their holidays. But what I got for you is a few of their favorite clips from the last year, or should I say the first year of the DFO Rundown. And it's fitting that the first one I have pulled up for you is from our first ever video. And it's also fitting because the guest was, well, he made some news recently. Back in February, we were joined by Paul Maurice, the now former head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. And he started off this clip with some really interesting comments about analytics and information and what he values as an NHL head coach. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we mentioned and there was a, a lot of buzz, I guess you could say, about Blake Wheeler this week. You said your piece, so we won't rehash that. But, you know, one thing that really stood out to me in your comments, at least on the second time as you kind of cleared the air, was just the idea that, you know, with some of this information and analytics, and by the way, I hate the, the word analytics, like how much of this would the conversation would change if we just called it information instead yeah. of analytics. But um, you know, you mentioned the the staff that you have there and the job that they do. How different could you shed any light for us on how different what you guys are seeing is different than what's publicly available in terms of numbers and, and just things that you're looking at? Yeah. So 
I, I think in general, um, first of all, it's getting way better. But the public information that you get over the last few years would be kind of hand inputted and guessed as the games are going on. So, you know, here, I'll give you the answer to this question and you'll know this. You'll go to a building and we played a game in a city and I get off the bench and going, that was like a no hitter. Like that was a purse swinging contest. It was nobody got near anybody. And one of the two teams had 48 hits. Right. And then we went into, I don't know what it was, Nashville or Dallas. And it was, it was savagery the entire night. And I think the hits were like 14 to 16. So there's such an inconsistency. So if we're talking about most of these analytics are driven by shot location, right? What happens when two people are on the ice, what kind of shot and, and one group will uh, account for block shots. One group wrote, I understand that when the, when the sample get huge, you get a good information, but I know, I mean, my point was, I got, there's five full-time people here that do this, right? And we take the data points. So we don't even necessarily use one of the companies that drives the data. We buy the data and put it through our own filters. And, and what we've done is, and our, our expected goals, our expected goals model is pretty darn predictive. It's it's not bad at all. And and yeah, there's room for debate on all of this, right? So we've got that. And, and then we have our own key performance indicators that we think are, you know, slightly less predictive than the um, expected goals, but it, but it goes down and we chart all that and we spend an awful, because I find this interesting as hell. I, I, I'm not, you know, I mean, I think I'm not a statistician, but I, I do look at all of it. And I know that we constantly ask this question, what's the most important thing? Like, what's the most important number? And we argue about it and argue about it. And this is all we do for a living for some of us for the last 25 years. So I'm not overly confident firing out any analytics to you. What shocks me is the confident level that other people will fire analytics out. See, this guy can't play because, you know, he's 0.45. I don't even know. Like like this, whatever the stat would be that they're using. But the confidence level that they fire it out, that that's important. That shocks me a little bit. Paul, when you talk about expected goals and you track them yourselves, when you have a sniper like Kyle Connor on the same place on the ice, do, do you alter for that compared to, you know, and, and no offense, to if it's Lowry or somebody else who's not as much of a pure finisher, right. does that come into the calculations? So we are in the process of, of talking about weighting the shot. So the idea right now is that, that you shouldn't weight the shot. The idea is that you, all you need is a large enough sample size and then the, all of that gets weighted out. So the, 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 the idea would be Kyle Connor's breakaway goal, that shot is valued exactly the same as if Paul Maurice was going down the ice with five guys hanging off his back and I got a knuckler off the same and it's weighted the same. So intuitively to me, that doesn't tell me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you can look at the players, yeah, so we're, we're playing with the idea of weighting each shot. That's a huge, huge program, right? Like that would be a tremendous amount of work. Um, but go back to what it is. 20 years ago, we were doing this expected goals model. We were doing, we we're calling it chances for and chances against. And every coach would do it. And it's it evolved into, is that an A chance, a B chance, or a C chance? And if you put three coaches in a room, we'd all argue. So I'll give you a better one. I got a guy. I work with a guy, Ted Sater. I'll say his name because he was a really smart at my first year. And we had like a two-hour argument about whether a shot that missed the net was a chance and he was adamant that it was absolutely not a chance. You have no chance to score if the shot doesn't hit the net. So the other end of that spectrum, and we kind of test our theories at, at the extremes, 
So if my team gives up 30 breakaways, Ted, and they don't hit the net, they've never had a chance to score. But as a coach, like, what do I do? I won't be coaching very long if I'm giving up 30 breakers. So what are you using this information for, right? You're trying to decide what kind of quality your offense is generating and then what kind of quality your defense is giving up. And that's all of this just goes into that. At the end of the day, this is a coach's tool to assess your game beyond, yeah, we were pretty good tonight. You know, yeah, we, we, yeah, we liked our game tonight. So the numbers then – so there's a real value to this information as, as Frank and I are starting a new – push we're not ever using the word analytics again we're just going to say information so okay. if you take this information what is a coach can i learn from it that's about my team that's that's what we're trying to use it for. we'll see how long that lasts but yeah, uh no, no i don't i don't think that one's gonna have a lot of traction <laughs> i was actually going to ask you though you, you mentioned 20 years ago like what what was the tech like what was the technology like 26 so, years ago when you so stepped when, I, when I went into Hartford, Paul Holmgren was the head coach, and that was my first deal, was do an inventory of the program. Six VCRs and four TVs, the, that was the entire Hartford Whalers program. So I had a guy that would come in, and this was only at home, and he would plus play and record on the VCR at the start of the game. And that's it. That was the entire operation. So when you were playing, you know what? Like I think about that when you were in the Southeast division, like the, we go into Florida or Tampa, the games aren't even broadcast. You'd get the jumbotron feed. Actually, that's what you would get. Right. So I would get just as much mascots and dancing girls out of that. Like you never saw a face off ever. You couldn't chart face off. So that, that, I mean, the, the change in it is awesome but you can what you can do with your video now especially in terms of sharing which i think in the, you were always able to log it now we were able to cut the video that's fine but the sharing of video is really where it's taken off lately if i could take you on a tangent i wanted to get a quick jim rutherford story from you um you know just to share one myself uh i met him i think my first week on the job at tsn and I was in, you know, outside of a locker room and he comes up to me and he's like, Frank, are you Frank? And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, like, shit, what did I say? What did I say? And he looks at me and goes, fuck. He's like, you look so much better in your online headshot than you do in person. I just wanted to let you know. And that was uh, the start of, you know, just meeting one of the most yeah. people in the game. Um, you were hired by him twice. Yeah. Give us a story. I, 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 it's funny because you can ask me something direct about anybody and I can tell you a million, I've known the man for so long. There wouldn't be, a, there wouldn't be any one person that had a greater impact on my life than Jim Rutherford. And what he would always be able to do is get his point across and make you feel good at the same time. So it's, it's funny that his first, first shot, he dropped a bomb on you with your headshot, but it's well-deserved by the way. You know what? You know what? He, he has this incredible way to connect with people and make them feel better. Like he knew every time I was in trouble, we, I was in trouble one night in going into New Jersey, man, things were not going well early on. And he said, come on, let's go sit out in the stands before the game. And I'm, I'm not much of a talker like to other people the day of the game. I'm, I'm a little wired for it. Well, the mascot was out skating. The, the, the New Jersey Devils mascot was out skating around with half his gear on, but he was doing this whole show. He had his arms going and he was doing this. And he and I were in tears, in tears in that. We ended up winning the game, but he he was always, as always my entire life, been able to, if I call him and I'm in an off mood or something's not going well, by the time I get off the phone, I'm feeling good about life and I've laughed about something I didn't know was coming. He just has that gift of connecting with people that way. And it's genuine. 
Oh, it, 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 and that's what's the great part about it. Right? He gives you the, he'll give you a little shot, make you think a little bit. He'll laugh a little bit, and then he'll ask how your family's doing. He's just a wonderful, wonderful person. Paul, I want to go back even farther for Rutherford. Just, I've read some stories and heard about how you got started in coaching. Is it true that you had an eye injury and they offered you either to get traded or you could become an assistant yeah. coach on the team you were coaching in junior? Yeah, so that was Jimmy Rutherford. That's a, that's a hundred percent right. So I my very I was drafted by the year that Mister Kermanis, who's from the Carolina days, um, bought the Windsor Spitfires. Was the year I was drafted, and Jim Rutherford was the general manager that drafted me. So in my first training camp, I get hit in the eye with a puck and. Uh, lose most of the sight. My I came back and played, but it was over then. I think you need fifty to seventy-five percent vision in both eyes to play in the NHL. It was over, but I sucked too, so that had something to do with it. But I was captain of the team for like two and a half years, and back then you could only have two overages. And we had a we had a guy from the Quebec League who had like sixty-five points of charisma, and Pat Jablonski came back as our goalie. So I was the other, and we had both Shannon brothers, Glenn Featherstone. Adam Graves, Pete DeBoer. We had a really awesome team. So my options were they were going to, they could trade me to the Oshawa Generals and Paul Terrio was the head coach there. And I think, and, and Jimmy said, they'll guarantee a job in the eye next year uh, for 13-5. So that tells you how long ago that was, that was <laughs> the pay scale. Or would you consider coaching? And I knew, I knew, within my first year that I was never playing in the NHL. I mean, I, I understood the game well enough that and Tommy Webster was the head coach. He'd always been really good with me. So that, that was my starting point in hockey. So I came out of it and started working with Tom Webster, who was, who was really, really into video, right? Really into systems. He was way ahead of the curve. So that's the incubator there for coaches. So Pete DeBoer kind of went through the thing, same thing, right? We had Tommy Webster as a coach, Jim Rutherford as a general manager, and, and we probably ended up with a huge respect for coaching. Like if there's another coach there, I'm not thinking that's what I'd consider doing for a living. The truth of the matter was at the end of the day, I was making 40 bucks a week. And if I, and if I stayed coaching, they paid me 150 bucks a week. Ooh. And I knew I wasn't going to play in the Iowa. It was no good. Mr. Kermanist owned CompuWare Corporation, and I thought, if I could get my green card, I could go into Gales for the company and I get 150 bucks a week. That's part of the reason why I went into coaching. Oh, I love it. That's the chance. And that is the absolute truth. So what was, what was your first? Cause you, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one more story about that, how that ended. Okay. So the season ends. So halfway through the year, I get canned. I start coaching. They go to the Memorial cup. We, we lost three games after Christmas. They went 15-1 and one in the playoffs. They lost the last game to the Medicine Hat Tigers, I believe, and Barry Melrose was the coach. And at the banquet at the end of the year, Mr. Kermanis comes over to me and he says, how did you enjoy coaching? And I said, you know, Mr. Kermanis, I loved it. I'd love to do it next year. And he said to me, you can have a job as long as you want. And I worked from then basically other than a couple firings right to 2012. So that was a, that was a good run. Well, I wanted to ask you about that relationship with him because, Paul, you know, you and Jim Rutherford, there's something about your personality that, you know, they trust and, and they, obviously they believe you're smart. But, you know, relationships are so key in any walk of life. But you were able as a young man to earn their respect. When you look back, what was it that connected you and Carmanos? Because you're right. He, you know, everywhere you went when he when he started his junior team in Detroit, you're his head coach. And then you're in the NHL. Yeah. What's the basis of that relationship? I think part of that, both of them are crazy. 
Like they're nuts to have hired me. Like I turned that job down in Hartford three times. I knew I wasn't ready for it. I was in so far over my head. But I think I've always had a pretty good sense of team. And it's not just the locker room team. It's the coaching staff team and the management team. And we had some like that Hartford to Carolina run those first few years was not easy, right? Like I get into Hartford, we're not a very good team. And then the next thing you know, Glenn Wesley's got a for sale sign on the front lawn because we're leaving town. That did not go over well. But I wasn't looking to protect myself for my next job. I was going to be coaching for Pete and Jim until I was done. And then who knows, but I wasn't looking to launch my career and create my brand. And then when we went to, man, we went to Carolina. I got a thousand stories about the startup there. I mean, we, we didn't have a practice rink. I mean, our, our home rink was 90 miles away, right? We played 82 row games basically for two years. So, but I was a, a good team guy. I worked hard and they knew that I would, no matter what we were dealing with in terms of adversity, I wasn't, I wasn't, pulling a reporter like Frank aside and saying, Hey, it's not me. It's all this craziness around. I'm a way better coach than that. I, I would never, ever do that. So I was a team guy. And I think that, I think they respected that. Mm. All right. Well, we appreciate your time, Paul. We're getting short on time. So we've got to just yeah. quick ones. Uh, you, we just talked about your vision real quick. Um, you know, one of the oddities of, of coaching with a mask on is, you know, your glasses are constantly yeah. fucking, I've seen you a couple games without glasses on. Right. How do, how are you managing? Well, I, I, I my vision is is good. It's strong. The reason I started wearing glasses because Jim Rutherford made me because of the just a little bit more protection if I got hit with a puck, right? Not because you look smarter. No, my wife wants me to wear them because it hides the bags under my eyes a little bit better. You know, so I don't look quite as old. But um, I just I, I'm, I don't care anymore, so I just take them off. I can I can see fine at distance. It's not an issue. Uh, I, I use glasses more for driving at night, but I, I get out into a rink and I've taped the I've taped the mask to my face. I've done it forty different ways, and we started winning when I stopped wearing. Like I wore them in Toronto, and then we lost. So the glasses aren't coming out. Love it. All right, we got some rapid fire questions. Ten, we got six questions, ten seconds each. Uh, all right, number one. Road city you miss the most with COVID. You're only you're limited to six cities. Uh, Montreal. Where is your vacation spot when COVID ends? Where are we going to find you? Uh, Rush Bay, Lake of the Woods. Are you? Uh, will you see? Will you see Ralph Kruger there? Yeah, he is about one kilometer we're east of me on an island. Yes. We're sending our best wishes to Ralph too. With He's doing all right. Yeah, Good I'll time. pass along. Uh, what is Paul Maurice's cocktail of choice? Uh, black coffee with a shot of espresso. Love it. What does Paul Maurice listen to while he's in the car? Led Zeppelin. Oh, and Coulter Wall. I'll put that name out for a Saskatchewan fella. Unbelievable country western. Huh. Are you a big country guy? Uh, now more. I always liked country, but Zeppelin was, was it for me always, all the time. What is the last book you read? Oh, uh, on the grand strategy. Outstanding. Outstanding. Um, yeah, those are the details that never possible. It's a guy, it's a guy who um, teaches at Yale, and it is an abs on grand strategy. It's an outstanding book about expectations and resources throughout his, the history of the world. Outstanding. All right. And last one, and perhaps the most important, what did you get your wife for Valentine's Day? Ooh. You know what? When's Valentine's Day? Is it coming up? 
Is it on a game day or not? There's only two days, Frank. It's game day and non-game day. It's the perfect it's reminder. Game day, it's not going to yeah, it's not going to be brought up if it's a non-game day. Um, you know what? Maybe I'll just leave the house early, and then she'll be really happy. Perfect. Excellent. There you go. That was former Jets head coach Paul Maurice. Like I said, if you want to go back and listen to that entire interview, it was back. It was the first ever episode of the DFO Rundown, and boy. How far we've come as a podcast. The next guest I wanted to throw it back to was someone who's, like Maurice, also been in the news recently. It's Bruce Boudreaux, and what we thought would start off as just a conversation about his coaching career turned into a whole heck of a lot more, including him telling some tales about his role in the movie Slapshot. Here's a look back at our interview with the man, the myth, the legend, Bruce Boudreaux. Can, can you take think, me back to yeah. Bruce, Bo- Bruce Boudreaux's first day in Anaheim and how different maybe that was your first time in Minnesota? Like, how do you come in as a coach like that and that quick of a turnaround? And, you know, do you feel your way in? Do you, do you come in like a bull in a china shop? What's the approach for Bruce Boudreaux when you when you join a team right away? Well, there was two different uh, approaches. Like, when I went to Washington was after game 21, almost the same time. And... Um, but I had coached six of those guys the previous year and we won the Calder cup and I've been there in training camp and everything else. So even though, you know, your heart's beating a mile a minute, uh, um, it, it was still, uh, it was still comfortable. When I went to, uh, when I went to um, Anaheim, I didn't know one person. I, I knew one person, George Peros on the team who I had coached in Manchester in the, in the minors. And I, like, I didn't know any of these guys. I'm reading on the plane, Matt Pileski, who's this guy? Who's uh, Devontae smith Kelly? Who's, uh, like, I had any idea. So, I mean, I walked in there and uh, I recognized Ryan Getzlaff. He came over to say hi. It was the first time I met. But I didn't recognize Corey Carey. And he came over and said hi. And it, he had to tell me his name. Like, oh, Corey Carey, sure. You know, blah, 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 you know. Um, so it was a little weird. So, but the, the practices were the same thing. I did. I used the same approach I did in, uh, when I went into Washington. I, I said, um, okay, like we're we're going to change. Uh, I don't know how Randy Carlisle did the things before you, but this is what we're doing now. And from the first practice on, we changed everything uh, uh, to the way I, I thought it should be um, that fit my personality, that the way I wanted to play. And and they reacted pretty good in in. Um, Washington, it happened right away. They jumped right onto it and, and everything. It took about two weeks um, to get going in uh, Anaheim to where we felt comfortable. And then once we got comfortable, even though we were, were dead last at one point, we went, I think, 21-1-2 and two in the next 24 games and jumped right into a potential playoff position, which we – um, we didn't make, but we were we were eliminated by the. I think it was the third last game of the season. So, and and then the next year we ended up winning the division and uh, and stuff. So it was it was it was, both were good. Uh, both are you know you try to put on a good face because you're so nervous. Like the first job with Anaheim was so nervous because uh, or the first job with Washington because I'd never coached in the NHL. I was just freaking out a little bit the second job in anaheim you're nervous because you don't know anybody i mean i knew bob murray a little bit and the and their um uh head uh, pro scout was rick patterson 
uh, who was a good friend of mine. And, and that's probably more how I got the job than anything else. But, uh, uh, you're just nervous and you go in and you've got to determine, you got to put the face on and say, and make them believe that the way we're going to play right now is the way that's going to make us win. And, uh, hopefully I did that. All right, Bruce, we're going to play a little, uh, a little rapid fire, short answers. I got six quick questions for you. You ready? Yep. What is one hobby that's kept you occupied during the pandemic? Um, TV, <laughs> watching hockey. Every, like, I mean, since hockey's restarted, just we watch every game every night all the time. Um, you know, my wife keeps telling me I've got to get a hobby. Uh, I golf all summer long, but it's pretty hard to golf in these times right now. Well, that was my next question. Could you tell me how many hours a week you think you watch hockey? Well, it starts at 7 o'clock, and it usually ends at 1 o'clock. Last night there were 10 games on. So, I mean, I'm in New Jersey doing the NHL Network thing. So, uh, uh, I watched as many as I could, and the NHL Network, you know, had the Oiler game on too. So, I watched that one. So, it's uh, once dinner's over, it's hockey night in Canada and hockey night in the U.S. for the Boudreaux family. There you go. What is the, who is the funniest player that you coached? Like who could get you in stitches no matter what moment it was? Jim Ralph. There you go. Uh, you yeah, know Jim like Ralph. He, he was a teammate. Yeah, he was my teammate. But uh, uh, we sat beside each other in the dressing room and all we did was laugh. I mean, no matter how serious the situation was, he, as you guys, if you know Ralphie, uh, he could make you laugh in any of those situations. What is your favorite NHL road city for food? Um, well, you know, it's a, that's a tough question for the, no, it's not Washington. Uh, because we, we made the Capitol grill in Washington, our, our favorite place to eat, but uh, I am such a bad eater and, and uh, such a, a finicky eater that, Anything fancy, I don't really go to. It's steak and meat and potatoes for me. Huh. So what is the Bruce Boudreaux cocktail of choice? Um, well, it's changed over the years. Uh, now I'll have a glass of wine. Um, when I was 22, it was anything that was put in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> and our last question is... Um, what, what's your plan? Like, when do you, how long, if you could, you know, you want another opportunity, how long would you like to coach for? I don't know. I mean, I, I think in, until it wasn't um, fun to get up every morning and, and, uh, and do it. Like, I mean, uh, like I've been fortunate in quite frankly, because we've never been on a team that's been under 500 at the end of the year. And, and other than, um, years ago uh it never was in a full season uh where i missed the playoffs um since 97 so i mean uh it's it's always been fun if it becomes a non-fun thing um i probably uh you know at my age probably wouldn't enjoy it anymore and probably wouldn't have a job anyway if, if, it, if it became into that situation but it's something i do every day i feel i have the energy i feel uh, I feel like uh, I could get up every morning and go on the ice with the guys and, and work with them. And I still think I have the emotion uh, to be able to um, 
to motivate. And so, I mean, at this point, uh, I, I would like to do it as long as I could. I watch all the football guys. They're all, all the guys that win, Bruce Arians, uh, uh, Andy Reid, they're all in their, all close to their 70s or in their 70s. So, I mean, I don't see why, uh, uh, why hockey people can't do that as well. Uh, other than the skating part, I mean, it's a, still a time-consuming thing where you have to have the energy to want to do it, and I feel I do. And so in the meantime, I, I got to ask you about your decision to start two USPHL franchises, the Minnesota Blue Ox and the Hershey Cubs, alongside your wife, Crystal. What made you want to get into junior hockey in the U.S.? Well, the, again, I, I hate making these short questions into long ones, but in Minnesota, quite frankly, our son was 17. He was a goalie. And um, uh, the hardest thing to do is, is when you get – if you have kids, you know the tryouts are in April and early May, and when you go to a different town in June and July to find a spot for your team, to, for your son to play. So he played one year as a, a third goaltender uh, in um, the USPHL. The, then that coach asked me if we wanted to start a team together. And I said yes because uh, I knew then that uh, Brady would be um, uh, get a chance to play, and so we did. Um, and so we started the Blue Ox, and it became you know pretty successful, quite frankly. And uh, um, and Brady is now a coach there. And so when we moved to Hershey, it just seemed so perfect to do it again. We knew what we were doing. The uh, the venue was perfect. The people we knew were perfect, and it was a the only thing in, in the Hershey area that didn't have a junior team and but had such a rich history of, of hockey that we thought it would be a really neat thing. And uh, so we did, and the support has been tremendous so far. The people have been great. Uh, uh, you know, other than I sit at home and go, what the hell am I doing now? I'm working twice as much as, as I used to work, uh, getting this team on off, off the board. Uh, but Crystal does so much work; it makes it easy for me. So it's a, but it's again a love for the game. I mean, uh, I can't picture myself doing anything else. But I mean, all my kids are into hockey now, uh, coaching or or doing skill development. Uh, uh, my daughter does the website for the team. Um, uh, and Ben's coaching in Fort Wayne in the East Coast League. Andy's a skills coach in Banff, uh, Alberta. So. It's in our blood, and I, I think it's uh, – I'm happy it's in our blood. I think it's the best sport in the world, and we love uh, we love doing it. Bruce, uh, your, your kids, I, I, I would assume, are, are very much up on social media and technology. You have one of the greatest memes out there. You're on the bench. You're, everybody knows what you say, but it just says darn underneath. Uh, how often does that meme get shared in, in, the, in the Boudreaux family chats? Well, somebody sent it to me the other day again for the 2000th time. Um, but it, it, you know what? Those guys are all up on social media. I'm the only one that's the dinosaur that uh, uh, is not up on it. I'm I'm so glad I don't have Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, or anything because I would I would be answering all the critics and I get kicked off. So I wouldn't be doing uh, I wouldn't be in much favor. I would have been kicked off of there long ago. <laughs> and one last one for me, Bruce. Uh, you were at Slapshot. Is there one character in the Slapshot movie that that related close to you when you played? Um, 
I don't think they went in depth to, to to those characters. I mean, they were more with the tough guys, the Killer Hanson, the kid, and the, and the Carlson brothers, and everything else. But I will say this about the movie: that when, um, if you remember the part where Paul Newman was lying on the bed with the dog and he couldn't get any sleep, that was my apartment, and uh, uh, that they were using. And the way they got that was George Roy Hill. Uh, came into the dressing room after practice one day and he said, guys, I need an apartment for a team. Who's got the dirtiest, messiest, sloppiest apartment on the team? And every guy instantly turned and pointed to me. So if there was a pig pen or something like that uh, that they were showing in the in the movie, that would have been me. That is awesome. Oh, I love it, man. Uh, this, well, we could talk for hours about the, the Slapshot movie because you like when you watch it, man, that's my old apartment. Like eh, you must just have story after story of that time and just that whole film. And I know you mentioned that maybe it wasn't the, you know, the perfect uh, decision for you at the time. But when you look back 44 years later, one of the most successful, if not most successful hockey movies of all time, and, and you have a real direct connection to it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it, you know what? It, it, it is cool after all this time. And I didn't think it would ever, you know, be like that. But uh, I mean, one more story uh, from the movie was uh, one night because um, Paul Newman asked uh, Dave Hansen, he said, uh, "Pick a guy and um, come over and watch the dailies with us." And the dailies are are what they shot that day. And so Dave, uh, Dave asked me, and uh, so we went there. So there was only George Roy Hill, Paul Newman me and Dave Hansen in the room. And, uh, and I don't know why I remember it so vividly, probably because Paul Newman said it was, he turned around, we were sitting behind him and he said, you know what? I made the movie judge Roy Bean just recently. And I just did that one for the money, but I making this movie, this is going to be a hit. This is going to last forever. I'll never forget him saying that. And, uh, uh, look what look what happens. Turn around, and the next thing you know, uh, this movie's forty four years later, it's still going strong. There you go. That is a little bit of our chat with Bruce Boudreaux. If you want to hear the full interview, that one came back in February twenty sixth. It was actually just the sixth episode of the podcast and all of our interviews or i should say most of them end with a little bit of rapid fire i always get a chuckle when they're rapid fire and some of the answers in rapid fire are longer than some of the answers in the normal interview but regardless we usually get some great stuff in this segment so i figured i'd wrap up part one of the best of episode of the dfo rundown with a look back at a couple of our favorite rapid fire attempts starting with the current gm of the minnesota wild bill Guerin. While you're in Vegas, and uh, obviously you're not getting to go out though, but what is your cocktail of choice to wind down either uh, at the end of, an, uh, of a night or after a victory? Tito's martini, straight up with a twist. Ooh, okay. True or false, you and Doug Wade had matching suits at an Edmonton Oilers party. I can't remember, but I'll say true. Okay, one of your t- one of your former teammates had texted me when we heard you're coming on. Wanted me to ask you that one. <laughs> um, when Bill Guerin entered the NHL, what was his wow welcome to the NHL moment? Oh boy, you know what? I think it was my my first practice, and uh, just realizing how big and strong all the guys were and how long of a road I had in front of me to really be a full-time player. If you're a GM now and they were both on your team, but you can only have one, 
Scott Stevens or Scott Niedemeyer? Well, oh man, that's a, that's a terrible question, but Nieder's my old roomie. So I, I'll, I'll take Nieder. Oh, well, it's uh, it's good to, Hey, when you got two hall of famers, it's uh, you can't go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I used oh. to ride to the rink with Scotty and that, those were intense rides. <laughs> well, in what way, what made it so intense? He had his game face on when I'd pick him up. Like there, there was not a lot of discussion. He was, he was ready to go already. And uh, yeah, he was a pretty intense guy. Good, so he good was one of your most teammate. intense teammates. Who was, who was the funniest teammate you played with? Oh boy. I think Dougie, I think Dougie's one of the funniest guys I've ever been around. Um, he's, he's hilarious. And I, I think we just have the same sense of humor. So we're constantly laughing when we're around each other. And if you were going to give anyone advice on the one thing you need to be a successful GM, what is it? Hmm. You have to learn every department. You have to know what's going on in every department before you, before you get the job. It'll just help you. Now, how, now you worked in a lot of different departments, so you're just, you need a lot of that experience. And you, I know you talked to Frank earlier how it, there were some things where you're just like, you're getting pulled in every direction. Was there one that was challenging for you where you were just like, wow, this is the, the toughest learning curve that I didn't expect in the job? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was the amateur scouting. And when you go to a game and not, you know, every time I'd go to a game before, you just watch the game. When you're going to watch specific players, um, just watching that guy on the ice for his entire shift, you know, not focusing on the puck and where it's going in the play of the game, focusing on that one player and learning how to do that. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's an art. And, um, you know, the, the, the guys that are out there every day doing this types of thing, they've, they've perfected that. And that's, it, it's, it's not easy. And lastly, what does Bill Guerin binge watch on Netflix? Everything. <laughs> Favorite big... show? Oh, man. Favorite show? I love Peaky Blinders. Oh, buddy, it's got the hat. I love Peaky. I love Peaky Blinders. I'm re-watching <laughs> The Sopranos right now um, on HBO. But, um, yeah, I, I just finished watching the, uh, the, the F1 documentaries. Okay. And that, that was, that was, that's super impressive. I can't wait for year three to come out or season three to come out. Um, but yeah, I, 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 uh, game of Thrones. I was a big game of Thrones guys. I've watched it twice all the way through. Oh. Um, I, I try to mix in a book every now and then too. <laughs> we all know that's a lie. Come on. Uh, Billy, you're the best. Thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Frank. Thanks. Thanks both of you guys. Appreciate it. There you go. That was from our chat with Bill Guerin, I believe, episode seven of the podcast. This next clip is from our off-season chat with Brad Larson shortly after he was named head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Actually, the three of us on the pod uh, had a bit of a chuckle off-air a couple of weeks ago, and the Columbus Blue Jackets were off to their hot start, and we remembered this interview with Brad Larson, and now after listening to him talk, we were all ready to go play for the Blue Jackets. We were ready to run through a wall for that guy. The entire interview is fantastic with Brad, but here's a look back at our rapid fire with the current coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. So uh, here we go. We'll start with an easy one. Uh, Brad Larson's cocktail of choice. Coffee. 
Coffee. Ooh, dark. What do you what is straight? What do you drink? Just black. Yeah. Just black. Okay. Yeah. Um, Todd McClellan, you mentioned him earlier. He was your junior coach no. for three years. Now you're going to coach against him uh, this year. That'd probably be a thrill for sure. What was your favorite Todd McClellan saying that he used as a coach in Swift Current? Gosh, like you're going way back. I, I can't remember sayings. I really, I, what Todd, uh, I, I can't think of one. I, I would tell you if I did, it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm dodging the question. I just can't think of a Todd okay. McClellan saying. What was his best or funniest trait you remember as a head coach in junior? Uh, well, I don't want to be mean to the guy. Well, you should be. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Todd's got a good sense of humor. There, yeah. there was some guys that made made fun of the size of his hat size. <laughs> he does have hat. a huge melon. He does. Well, I mean, you said it, not me. So yeah. there were times where there was we drew attention to that. Okay. Um, uh, this is a tough one. You won two gold medals, the World Juniors. 96, 97. You have to no. pick one. Which was a more fun or better experience? Well, the, the the second one I was the captain of, and I don't think it was uh, more fun. I actually, you in, you talk about pressure. We had won four in a row, and you didn't want to be the captain that screwed this up. So it was relief. And 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 honestly, Mike Babcock, I think, was in the same boat. We we won. I remember sitting on the bench after we won in Switzerland there and looking at each other and just kind of taking a breath. It, you know, we could finally enjoy it, but you know, we didn't drop the ball. We we kept the ball rolling. It was five in a row, and and so that was that was very gratifying. It was uh, you get named captain and you're excited, and then and then reality hits. You're like, oh we can't screw this up. we got to make sure we win. You know, there's a lot of pressure that comes in. So it was a relief and, and an exciting time. What do you correlate between being a captain of a world juniors? We're going to bring together a group very quickly. What skill set there is going to help you as a coach? Well, I, it, it, it's really, it's, it's a lot of the same intangibles as a captain. Um, you know, what I learned was, and again, I, I think I, if I could be a leader now, and what I've learned in this, I, I think I'd be a much better leader, but you learn that your words are great, you know, but really your actions tell me everything. And so um, I, I want to get to know the players. I, I want to talk to them. And, but it, you know, once we walk out of this room in the next month or two months and whatever we've talked about, the action is the most important thing. It's going to tell me everything. If you value it, you're going to do it. And and so that's something that I would, I've taken as a leader and, and I'm going to, you know, bring you as a coach as well. Now I can ask this question, Brad, because if, if you look at my dome, so are you, I look at there, you got a lot of stubble on there. Is that a, are you premature thinking the dream is over? Or do you just like going down to the wood? You know, when I shaved my head in 2005, it was lockout year. We were, uh, I was with the Chicago Wolves and, and I decided I'm going to shave it, grow a beard. And we went to the finals that year and, I have I have pretty thick hair. If you see, I got wrinkles yeah. in my head. Ah. You know, every, every, I'm going to set the record straight. I don't shave lines in my head, and I don't do designs. <laughs> this, this is this is what to get. This is yeah. it. You know, so so we can squash that rumor right away. I, I'm not that uh, uh, creative with my hair, but I shaved it and I loved it. And there was no more product or gel or any of that stuff. And I'm, you know, I said. That's it. So the last time I grew my hair out was was before the playoffs in 2005. And I've never, I've always shaved it. Oh, I love it. So, because I, I know you're good friends. If we came to training camp in September and you have to do a conditioning test, who's having better results? 
Brad Larson or Jared Bednar? Oh, I, well, so are we talking on ice? Like uh, conditioning as far as like cardio? Yeah, yeah oh, like, you know, you got to do the all day long. See, Betsy's all about the weights and looking big and buff. And, you know, <laughs> you can tell him that too. He's cardio. He hates cardio. And if he says he does it, he's a liar. He, he, he might walk in the treadmill a little bit, but he's like, you know, he's all into his, you know, bulking phase and trying to get big arms and stuff. So yeah, all day long, I'd bury it. Okay. Have you ever jumped when the cannon went off? Oh yeah. Yeah. When I first got the job and and the best part about it is towards the exact same thing. When, when he got the job, he was to my right and that thing went off. He almost jumped out of his shoes the first three times. It was hilarious, but yeah, it gets you when you're, yeah, the last thing you're thinking about when you first get to a new team is the cannon going off and it gets you. It's, it's, it's intense. Oh, so I'm guessing you'll, you'll, you'll talk to your video guys to ensure that whoever your new assistant coaches are for opening night, somebody's going to video them uh, for the first goal. And then you show that in the, in the highlight reel in the video room later on. Yeah. ISO cam for sure. And I don't want to draw any attention to it because they, they will jump. There's no, you can't avoid it. Another great part of the rapid fire segment is the fact that throughout the course of the last year, we learned the favorite alcoholic or non-alcoholic beverages of so many important people around the hockey world. And with that, I'll put a wrap on part one of the best of episode of the DFO rundown. We'll be back next week. We'll have one live episode and we'll also have another best of episode part two where we'll take another look back at some of our other favorite interviews from the past year. If you missed any of them, you'll want to tune into that as well. But for Frank and Jason, and of course myself, I want to wish you all a very happy holidays. Enjoy the season. Enjoy some downtime. Stay safe. And we look forward to making another fantastic year of podcasts for you to enjoy. Have a happy holiday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. All right, hockey fans, listen up, because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Face-Off Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. you got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.